So the big question is this, how do ordinary people like us create financial freedom, take back control of our lives and live a life that we want, full of purpose, meaning and fulfillment? That is the question and wherever you are in your life right now, this podcast will give you the answers. My name is David Bell and welcome to Pocket Mastermind. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. Today's conversation is all about how to untap your potential and achieve uh, greater fulfillment in your life. Um, so with that said, I'm going to ask a question. How fulfilled do you feel right now? Are you successful in your business or career um, but feel like there's something missing? I've definitely been there uh, and I know it's common for a lot of people uh, and we face it at some point in our lives. But the good news is we can definitely change it. And my guest today uh, is Sarah Sabin, uh, and she's a transformational coach uh, and speaker. And she's going to share a few simple steps uh, and tips that we can uh, all leverage to unlock that full potential um, and start on a path to uh, more fulfillment and greater happiness in our life. So, Sarah, uh, a very warm welcome to the Pocket Mastermind podcast. Thank you for having me, David. That's really good. Um, so, Let's go before we jump into all of the, the useful practical stuff. Let's hear a bit about you. What's the background? How did you become a transformational coach uh, and speaker in the first place? How much time do you have, David? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's let's do the elevator. Thing. <laughs> um, right. So I will I will do this in a nutshell version, basically. So um, I sometimes call myself the Queen of Transformation. Um, not only because it's a catchy title, but because um, I feel that I've transformed inner and outer multiple times over the last, let's say, particularly six years, maybe. So essentially, my career started in the corporate world. So I trained as a tax accountant with a top 10 firm. And then um, after three years there, I went to work in a multifamily office which basically means that I was looking after a portfolio of high net worth individuals and families. And I absolutely loved that job when I first started it until I didn't. And uh, there, <laughs> there began what I call my crisis of integrity, where I knew that um, changing job wasn't going to be enough. Mm -hmm. um, so changing to something similar wasn't going to be enough, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So what I decided to do was basically co-found a startup whilst I was still in my um, last corporate job. It was called Medic Footprints and it was an alternative career service for doctors to be able to find out about alternative careers. So we did networking events, we did one big conference a year, um, we had online resources and we did recruitment. And basically, it was all going very well. It was helped along at the time by the junior doctor contract, Furore. Um, mm -hmm. And essentially, I thought, okay, I'm going to leave the corporate world and I'm going to do this full time. Um, I will preface that with I had built up 
a, a fun financial cushion, which I think is an important practical tip for mm. people when they leave the corporate world to give them some kind of peace of mind. So um, I left and I worked on Medic Footprints full time and uh, it was all going well. However, um, my relationship with my co-founder broke down. We had completely different visions of how the business should go. And so essentially I said, okay, I'm going to leave this business to you. I'm going to retain a small shareholding and I'm going to go off and do my own thing. So that business is still uh, going strong today. And it led me to my second startup that I founded, which was a tech startup, which I decided to found uh, knowing nothing about tech. Thing to do. Yeah. So um, that was challenging, um, and also to explain my thought process at the time, it was a vanity project. Um, so I, I won't beat around the bush there. So I thought. I want to do a tech startup, tech startup to where it's at. I want to prove myself as a female entrepreneur in a tech environment. I want to prove everyone wrong and I want to prove myself wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized in retrospect that those are not good reasons to do something that is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, um, I got some funding to build a minimum viable product um, and it was an accounting uh, a platform for accountants to connect with employers online. And um, the technology, unfortunately, was not uh, up to par, so it wasn't quite as good as I would have liked it. But nevertheless, soldiered on, built up a small team around me um, and started bringing users onto the platform, so accountants and um, employers, including some very big employers. So uh, we brought Network Rail onto the platform, um, a couple of the really big accounting firms. And to all intents and purposes, it looked to the outside world like we were gaining traction. However, what was going on internally um, <laughs> was quite a different story. So um, essentially, over the course of two and a half years running that I was chronically stressed I was extremely anxious I was a nightmare to work with or for Um, and um, I'm very clear about that so I was the type of leader that now I believe (laughs) uh, needs to be changed and um, I nearly burned out twice in that time as well Um, because essentially I was doing that and also consulting work for um, another startup at the time. So where that led me to was uh, we were offered quite chunky investment at around the two and a half year point and I ethically couldn't accept it because the thought of staying in that business for another three years was was something I couldn't I couldn't uh, accept. So um, I closed the business down. Um, like a lot of times in my life, people thought I was mad. <laughs> um, it's easy for when people are on the outside, right? They're not in your head. Yes, exactly. In what you're experiencing. I think that, you know, it's easy to see anyone's life from the external perspective and think it's all swimming. But mm. unless you're in it, then it's hard to hard to know. So, yeah, it makes sense that people might think that. But 
Yes, and I think that's a very good point, David. We tend to compare ourselves on the inside to what we see of other people on the outside. Um, and of course, we don't know what's going on internally. And there's also this very strong culture along, uh, among young tech entrepreneurs of work 24-7, just push, 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 without kind of stopping, stepping back and thinking, well, why am I doing all of this? So essentially, when I closed that business down, um, I forbade myself from starting any new project or business for at least two months, um, as did my partner, actually, <laughs> so, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was at that time that I came across transformational coaching for myself. And um, I can't describe it as anything other than a revelation for me. So something really just clicked in me. Um, and it was a completely new concept for me that you could um, shift on the inside, you could change your perceptions, you could do that deep work into who you are, what you want, um, how you're trying to impact people. And not only would that lead you more clearly towards what you're actually meant to be doing for the right reasons, it also starts to change the outside so it changes how people perceive you it changes your presence and practically it makes things uh, happen more easily for you on the outside so when i discovered it for myself that was um, a eureka moment for me because i knew that was the type of work that i wanted to do to help other people find purpose um, and to uh, usher in a kind of new age of leadership and business, which I think is uh, this new age needs to be accelerated because mm. of everything that has happened in the last uh, six months with COVID. Yeah, I agree. I think um, there's still a bit of a hangover in leadership from the kind of 70s and 80s. Um, and it's a bit out of touch. And I think there's a modern leadership which is more inclusive less abstract um that needs to needs to come in you know the stuff that simon sinek talks about with leaders eat last and and start with why is a much more empathetic um type of leadership than i think has been portrayed and the stuff you kind of see on the apprentice you know the dog eat dog do th mm. do people over who's to blame it it doesn't work it's ineffective it doesn't build great teams it doesn't build confidence and, and businesses suffer as a result and so i think it's great to 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 start trying to lead the charge on 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 a more positive message in terms of leadership yeah so i, I couldn't agree more and i think the the major difference between a business now and a business in the 70s was the pace of change you know business businesses now need to be agile they need to be able to pivot quickly um, they also need to really look at the long term. So what I call future intelligence, because at the end of the day, it, it's not just a question of do I want to survive the next six months It's a question of do I want to be around in five, 10 years? And how do I do that? Because I need to factor in the pace of change over the next five to 10 years. And um, for example, um, an accounting firm that does not diversify beyond tax, bookkeeping, accounting, etc., will die out eventually because 
you will have AI and robots that will do a lot of that kind of computation and uh, less creative work. And Pete, and other organizations, other businesses that do kind of complementary services now will start to incorporate those into their offering because it will be automated. They don't need, they won't need to employ very expensive uh, people to do that work. They can automate so much of it. Actually, they turn around and say, well, we do this and we'll do your accounting and blah, 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 and whatever it is, you know, a another service type industry. A lot you're seeing that happen in a lot of areas now where stuff that used to be a standalone business is now just a, a bolt on to, to another service that uh, potentially customers are more prone, more, more attracted to. It's more of a shiny service. Mm, yes, exactly. And um, I, to pick up on another, another point that you mentioned, um, if about kind of empathy and that more coaching style culture in organizations, that contributes to be a, being able to uh, be more agile, be more flexible, be more innovative, um, because essentially you're empowering your employees to also contribute to that company vision, that innovation, um, and you're making them more productive because they have that strong purpose and shared philosophy. And um, purpose is not a fluffy concept. You know, there, there is a lot of data to support the fact that it leads to more productive, fulfilled, innovative employees. Um, it leads to more loyalty in your customers. And essentially, there's also a link between um, employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction, which, of course, makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, you it's it's a straight line then from okay well if that's the case it impacts your bottom line um and the side effect of that which i guess uh you know is the more fluffy concept is you just have a happier more uh, satisfied culture at work um and unfortunately that by itself probably isn't enough to convince a lot of leaders to change but when you start drawing those links that's when it starts to, I guess, make sense to a larger audience. Well, the, the the benefits are huge because that happiness, the fluffy thing is, like you say, it creates a great customer experience because happy people are striving to do the best thing that they can for the people that they serve. They're happier amongst themselves, so they leave less often, you know, the greater retention because they're getting that fulfillment or that they enjoy coming to work. You know, people that don't enjoy coming to work, eventually the rusty nail that's poking them in the backside becomes too much and they, they leave for one reason or another. But if, you, if they're happy, they leave less. And then out peripherally, you know, happy people at work are happy people at home, which means happier families and a happier overall society. I think we undervalue um, the impact of being, you know, people's happiness at work has on an overall scale you know if you're really miserable going to work every day how likely is it that you're going to interact with other people whether you're in a restaurant or wherever in a positive manner it builds and builds and builds and people become more abstract more short with each other and the knock-on effect and basically we spend most of our waking hours working so happiness is in that environment is essential 
Yes, absolutely. And um, that, that kind of feeds into um, mindset, really, because essentially, if someone is not happy, they are not creative. So, um, you know, if someone is not creative, they are not going to be innovative. They're not going to take risks. They're not going to speak out and say what needs to be said. And they're not going to show any kind of real leadership quality because leadership is not just a job for the CEO and the leadership team. We all have a responsibility to lead in our own lives and also to lead for the people around us. Yeah, entirely. I think that's... And that's a a message that I think needs repeating and repeating because I think we naturally tend to look up for leadership. And in fact, we're all acting as leaders in one way or another, consciously or unconsciously in our in our daily lives. People are always looking around at everyone else in the in the herd and seeing what they're doing and making their decisions on their behavior based on those around them. So we kind of all have a responsibility to be conscious of that and lead by an example and i don't know who may have said this quote originally but they kind of said that your life will either be an example or a warning to others you're going to fall into one of those mm. categories and when you become conscious of that do you want to be a do you want to be an example or do you want to be a warning and uh, i'd imagine most of us would rather be the example uh, if we were conscious about that decision i i actually really like that analogy <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I, I think if more people thought like that, uh, do I want to be an example or a warning? More people would naturally say, I want to be an example. But I think the, the problem is that um, people don't necessarily think like that. No, because uh, we're unconscious of it, I think. We don't think we realise what impact each of us has on those around us mm. on a daily basis. We just kind of go through and react to our lives. And I think awareness is is so key yes absolutely so talk to us a bit about the 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 process of um of the coaching how where do you what's the starting point and how do you then move through and are there any tips that you can share along the way that people could maybe start to implement for themselves um in their own life just to kind of you know if they're not feeling that fulfillment you know like i said in the intro maybe they are successful by you know traditional measures but there's there's something missing or you know whatever it is is there something that people can maybe start to to consciously think about yeah so i i roughly sort of divide up my coaching into a few boxes if you like so the first one is life purpose which is essentially for people that, as you say, are successful, they're unfulfilled, and they have no clarity on what direction to go in or, and, or, and or what they want to do. So for those people, um, what tends to happen then is either they don't put any particular thought into it, they're just like, okay, I'm just gonna change jobs, see what happens what happens if you don't do that inner work of course is you usually end up in the same situation maybe a year two years later however if you take that reflective time that time to really dig down into who am i what are my values 
what do I really want to create in my life? And I mean, really want, not what do I believe is possible for me? Because that is how most people think and reason. Um, and it's not easy to think like that, unfortunately. Um, and that's also because of the way our brain is programmed. So our brain is programmed to keep us safe. And that's an evolutionary thing. So uh, it made sense thousands of years ago when, you know, there was an immediate threat and we needed to run from a tiger and our brain was like, danger, danger, danger. And we're like, okay, great. We're going to run away and uh, not be eaten by the tiger. Unfortunately, the brain responds in the same way to non-immediate threats. So things like fear, anxiety, and worry. So for example, what will often happen when you're trying to find your life purposes, some great ideas will drop into your head and then your mind will talk you out of them. No, don't be stupid. You're not smart enough to do that. Uh, you have no experience to do that. You'll never make any money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And your mind will talk you out of it because it's uncertain. So one of the ways to counteract that, um, is to access different ways of decision making, so to speak. So we are all usually reasoning by analogy. So based on what other people are doing or based on past experience. But if you want to do something you've never done before, that's not particularly helpful. There is neuroscientific evidence to support us using our gut as a filtering mechanism. So pay attention to the way you feel about something when you're trying to think about decisions or uh, paths or career experiments you want to do, what's your gut telling you? Is it like, hell yes, I'm excited. I want to try that out. Or is it like, meh, I don't know. You know, and we waste far too much time considering millions of options when we have this effective filtering mechanism to just take out <laughs> things hmm. that wouldn't suit us quite quickly. And um, if you can access that and tap into that and use that in conjunction with your brain to analyze options, you can try discerning experiments. So what I mean by that is in a career context, you can try things out, but be discerning about what you try out. So I'll give you an analogy. If you are dating, Right. So you go on a date and the first date, um, you're getting that butterfly feeling or your gut is saying yes or whatever you want to call it. What you'll do then is have a series of micro experiments, if you like. So you'll go on more dates. You'll start spending more time together. Maybe you'll go on holidays together and then you'll move in and marriage, babies, etc., etc. Um, There are very few people that go from point A to marriage you know, the next week, although it does happen, obviously. Now, the other, the other kind of flip side of that is you go on the first day, your gut is saying, eh, really not sure, but your mind is like, well, actually, you know, you're getting a bit old, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's time for you to settle. And you continue going on these dates, even though your gut doesn't, it says no. What is likely to happen eventually down the road is it doesn't work out for whatever reason. So true. 
And I think a lot of people probably find themselves in that position day to day, right? I think if, mm-hmm. if most of us are honest, um, and I've been, I've been there. That's why I got out of corporate as well because, I, you know, I I wasn't fulfilled, and I knew that the the politics and the nonsense of the just the pure time wasting of being in the corporate world for me didn't work and I knew I had to find some other way um, but it's scary to break out of stuff that you know and I think that's what tends to hold people back you know you get up in the morning if you're if you're dreading getting up in the morning or you can't get up in the morning or you dread Monday on a Sunday that's your gut telling you that mm. you're not happy with what you what you're doing but it's like you said before then it becomes the fear of doing something different um, how do people how do we get over that fear element Yes, um, I get I get asked that a lot, as you can imagine. So step number one is to accept that that fear and doubt will be there every single time you you uh, try to move out of your comfort zone, and to almost make peace with that and accept it. The second the second stage after you've committed to feeling that fear is to practically deal with that fear so find ways to um, move forward anyway so i will give you a couple of practical ideas of what that could look like so for some people it's literally just getting into action and that's really my modus operandi i'm an action person and sometimes i actually have to pull myself (laughs) back from action (laughs) Um, but that can be very effective just to start building up that confidence. For others, it can be helpful to sit down and practically analyze the fear going on. So literally just write out and answer these questions. What is the absolute worst case nightmare scenario that could happen here if I take a chance? Write that all out. Um, Then go into, well, what's the absolute best case scenario that could happen here? And then, you know, weigh the two up. But by, by doing that exercise, you're flipping your mind into a positive and possible state. And then you also need to think, okay, well, let's say a not so ideal scenario happened. What could I do about it? Can I go back into work? Is there, are there other ways of making money, et cetera, et cetera. And then the last very important question to ask yourself is what, is the opportunity cost of doing nothing. So how would I feel in two years if nothing in my life changed? And usually the point at which someone will get into action is if they cannot bear the thought of their life being exactly the same in two years time. Because if you take no action, that is exactly what will happen, your default future. Um, so that's, that's kind of looking practically at fear. And then a third thing that is really effective is if you're in that kind of fear and survival mode state, you, it's not a good time to be brainstorming options or thinking creatively. So you need to find ways every day of getting yourself into uh, what's called an alpha brainwave state. So uh, that's kind of that floaty state that you're in when you wake up in the morning and you're just like, you know, a bit woozy. So for some, that's meditation, taking a walk, taking a bath, uh, going running, 
just getting yourself in that state where your creativity is opened up and those ideas start dropping into your head. And then of course, <laughs> the, the other side of that is when you start having those ideas and you start discerning how you feel to stop the inner saboteur voice in your head that will say, so you, you can already say that this will happen. Your inner voice will go, but <laughs> here are all the reasons why you shouldn't be doing this. Um, but I think awareness, awareness is key. If you know that all of this is likely to happen, if you know this is normal, you can start to address it. So I guess that that's kind of the life purpose piece for people that are lost. And then the, um, then there's kind of the leadership and business, uh, point as well, where a lot of the same mindset, um, things feed into that because you've still got to access creativity and innovation within a business. You've still got to manage those fears and doubts. You've got to make sure that not only you are not in survival mode, but your business is not operating in survival mode as well with no future intelligence or big picture vision or anything like that. So is there anything, um, so on that note, it, are there kind of good practical things that leaders can do I don't know whether it's with their teams or or whatever to actually start to build in that that more inclusive in environment and actually start to make that transition in leadership. Excuse me. Yeah. So um, the first thing to say here is um, a change in culture starts at the top. So um, what I observe through having talked to leaders of businesses is. Uh, they will say, okay, well, we have a company purpose. We have a company vision. Our employees are judged according to all these measures. It's all great. But what they will do and how they will act is completely in opposition to that. And unfortunately, people can see through that. So it's kind of do as I do as I say, not as I do type thing. So it's it, it really has to be a commitment that starts from the top and that commitment is i guess as you as you kind of alluded to before with the with the example piece so understanding as a leader that you don't have to be like everyone else you don't have to be like all the managers that you've had in the past if you've had uh, bad examples of leadership um, you can forge your own identity and you can really hammer out what that looks like. And that is what, um, in my opinion, is authentic leadership, because authentic leadership is a words used a lot um, at the moment. But without actually doing the work to decide what authentic looks like for you, again, it's just kind of buzzwords like purpose or vision or whatever. So it's um, first understanding what your natural leadership style is, what your authentic leadership style is. It's then also um, developing some of the skills that um, I guess have previously been thought of as softer. So that coaching style of leadership, understanding that you don't know everything as a leader but your job is to get the best out of other people. 
And how do you do that? Well, first of all, it's listening. Um, I, I find a lot, you know, that, you know, when you go to a meeting, the leaders in it just talk <laughs> and, you know, just throw their agenda at you and everyone else is too scared to speak up. Um, and it's also empathy. And I think there's a balance. So you can be over empathetic so much so that you are afraid of rocking the boat in any way. So there's a balance here between um, being empathetic, but also being clear about what your expectations are of people and communicating that, um, communicating that well. And um, also, being, also being able to say the things that um, need to be said, giving people constructive feedback that will actually help them progress. Encouraging people within an organization to start seeing themselves as leaders. So start doing that work for themselves. Who am I as a leader? What do I want to get out of my team? How am I going to do that? Um, and there is no innovation without uh, a willingness to fail. So if you want to be an innovative company, you want to be around in 10 years time, you have to be prepared to do trial and error. You have to encourage your employees to be able to do that so that they come up with new ideas. And they want to do that because A, they feel like those ideas are listened to and wanted. And B, if something doesn't work out or they make a mistake, then they're encouraged to learn from it rather than blamed for mm. it. So all of those are kind of key pieces in building that kind of, let's call it more, uh, more coaching culture within an organization. Yeah, I think you touch on there on the on the blame thing, and I've definitely observed over the last ten years in particular, but before that, a huge culture of blame. Like all of the media, the first question is who's to blame, who's to blame, who's to blame, and it's a repeated question to politicians, to sports people, to anybody they can get their hands on. Is who's to blame? You go to you watch. I referred to the Apprentice earlier. You watch the Apprentice again who's to blame for the failure of this task? It's immediately mm. that question every single time. And I think that provide that what that creates is a culture of, of fear and cover-ups. And what I saw repeatedly through um, corporate world was the further up the chain, the more diluted the message became. Mm. And, and the result of that then is the, the ultimate decision makers are unable to make the required decision because they don't have the information available to make the right decision and so businesses start steering themselves into the iceberg because they're being told there isn't an iceberg do you know and um and that all comes from the very top because for whatever reason if there's a blame culture if that if people don't feel confident to say hey, excuse me i put my hand up i've made a mistake rather and they cover it up instead the knock-on effect is eventually something big's going to happen, right? And you've yeah. the 2008 crash. There were loads of that. That was really what brought the U.S. housing market down was people lying and covering stuff up. And the same is the same happens in so many organisations. By the time the the real issue is identified, it's too late. So it's yeah. hugely important. 
Yes, it is very important. And even, even in, even in the frame of politics, um, you'll note that, for example, Boris Johnson introducing quarantines coming for those coming back to the UK from certain countries in Europe, you know, it's kind of look at your own backyard first, (laughs) look at what's um, happening in your own country before pointing the finger at at everyone else. Um, But that's, as you say, part of uh, not taking responsibility, never apologizing. Mm. So, I mean, imagine what it, what a difference it would make if a prime minister or a president was to say, look, hands up, I'm trying things out here. This is unprecedented. It's never happened before. I'm sorry, we have made some mistakes, but we're doing X, Y, and Z to fix it. How much uh, greater, you know, loyalty would that produce from the people that you were leading? Yeah, entirely. The challenge they always face, because I think a lot of people would resonate with that, is then the media goes, ah, these people, they, they admit to making mistakes. And so they should all be fired because they've all made mistakes. And so you need to, someone needs to be the brave leader to lead through that media storm and start to change the media narrative. And I think that's what most people are terrified of because every time a government does make a mistake and they say, well, we're going to, and they U-turn, they get, they get a shot down for U-turning rather than carrying along on a mm. path that they identified as not being the right one. So you, you, the, whatever you take, the media, you can't win for, for the media. And that we're programmed by the stuff that comes into our heads on a continuous basis, right? And every, so many people watch the start of the day with the news, end the day with the news. I stopped doing that a couple of years ago because you start to realize how subconsciously programmed you are into thinking and behaving in a certain way. And yeah. so now everybody who watches that says, well, they automatic program to say that actually backing out of a decision you realize was a bad one is now a worse than carrying on down the road i mean you'd have got shot if they carry if you carry on down the road and you haven't u-turned you get vilified for doing that and then if you do back out of it you get vilified for backing out of it and that and mm. it's a difficult it's a tricky position to be in i think yes and the media does have a huge part to play in that and i think that's where bravery comes in you know, doing what you know to be best, even though you know that some people will, <laughs> excuse me, some people will be critical of it because that is your responsibility as a leader. And to put that into a business context, you know, when you have, um, when you have challenges and roadblocks in a business, you know, coming up with innovative solutions to that so breaking it down to the fundamental truths and reasoning up from there allows you to create an action plan and that action plan will have a few different focus areas on it but the idea is not to build an action plan and then never change it ever again you have to have measures to tweak and track what's going on so you can cut those dead avenues quickly and focus on what works and unfortunately in politics you know, people are reticent to do that. Um, but, you know, it, it makes sense to, because otherwise you're potentially just wasting your time and creating a negative impact, completely hammering the wrong thing home. Yeah. 
And and I think something you touched on earlier around the the culture within an organization tend to say, oh yeah, this is our culture. These are our these are our core values. We've got all of this stuff. But very, it's very rare I've ever seen a company truly live it. Um, I worked for Virgin, which is probably one of the few companies that has a very clear culture that started from Richard Branson way back. And it's that's a great example of how that culture has passed on. His DNA has gone through that organization. Now, I imagine it's probably not quite what it used to be now. It was starting to fade out as different mergers and acquisitions have come along. But it lasted for a very long period of time because he actually lived and breathed it. The people just wrote down the culture became and the values became what he, his actions, and people just wrote them down and followed them. I've worked in other organizations where the mission statement changes every 12 months. It's written by the marketing or PR department, and it's not actually based around what actually happens. It's we do X, Y, and Z. We don't really. It's kind of it's 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 what we would like to be perceived as doing, but we're not going to make any changes with an organisation to actually point in that direction. So guess what happens? Nothing changes, and this but the mission statement changes every twelve months because it's shiny and new. Yes, and that's that's another good point. The overall vision or purpose should not change. It really is a very very big picture thing. What changes is the are the details that allows that to become a culture and a shared philosophy within the organization. So the change is at the level of detail and focus rather than changing the mission statement every year, which just confuses people and is also very confusing for building a brand because again, coming back to authenticity, a brand where you know, they're constantly changing or where it's clear from looking at them that it's inauthentic. People can see through that. Yeah. And I think great example, Apple always gets used very as a great example because they've innovated considerably from the early days of the Mac through to changing the music industry iPads, iPhones, they're now really a phone company where Apple computer and now they're really a phone company with music bolted on. It's quite a big shift, but their vision and mission statement is still quite clear that they make really nicely designed products that are really easy to use, right? Mm. And they empower people within their lives to be able to achieve more through those beautiful products. Now, everyone can kind of get that concept quite easily even through all that evolution, that was still the core of their, 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 their mission was to create these products that were different to other people and, and and really good. Whereas lots of other organizations, I think gets, don't have that guiding, that guiding star. It becomes about, like you, I think you said earlier, it comes like a particular product or something. And then you get blinkered into that product. Kodak, a great example, right? So we get stuck on this film (laughs) photography, and go out of business to the to the technology that we invented because we got stuck on it and there wasn't that there obviously wasn't that culture of leadership of you know experiment fail innovate um and guide down what is our what is our true purpose mm. yes and i think i think that that point of innovation specifically again let's project forward 10 years that's what's going to keep you there as a company in 10 years, right? Um, and 
to innovate. It's not just enough to have a couple of people in an organization coming up with ideas. You need input from everyone. And hey, guess what? You know, people, people love being part of something where they feel like they're making a difference. That's what leads to satisfaction. That, I mean, there are countless surveys and studies now that actually people are looking for satisfaction, empowerment, and purpose more than they are looking for money. Obviously, not everyone, <laughs> yeah. but but especially with uh, the millennials and Generation Z, you know that's what is more important to them. Yeah, I I, I, I kind of I've raised this question. I wonder whether the Gen Zs, Gen Zs, whether they there's going to be more entrepreneurial people coming through that generation because I I feel like the the millennials kind of got sold the 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 university dream more than any other generation before them right and so record numbers of people went to university despite them being record tuition fees and i think a lot of people have come through that process thinking they're going to go into this big amazing corporate world and found most of the most corporate jobs are really dull and they probably didn't need to get into 50 grand or more's worth of debt to get that job really and then they they within 6 months they're bored and they want to do something else and they go where's the fulfillment coming from and then they got a bad press because they left to go somewhere else to try and find more fulfillment and they bounce from job to job and don't find the fulfillment and i think the next generation that's come along has seen that frustration coupled with all of this covid stuff and i wonder whether i i, I see more of the online entrepreneurs coming out of that generation you know youtube's full of people under 25 some doing very well you know starting yeah. starting their businesses that start off as solo solopreneurs and then becoming quite large you look at Stephen Bartlett for social chain for example still a young guy and and, and running a successful business and I, I wonder whether we might see more of that from the future generations as they start to realize that university may not be the right avenue for a lot of a lot of people that go there, they're going to just, you know, go into not going to be a doctor, not going to be a lawyer, not going to be an accountant, that kind of stuff. Mm. Well, unless corporates change, yes, I do see much more of the solopreneur entrepreneurial route happen. Um, I, I suppose this is kind of my big picture mission change, you know, the face of leadership and business so that. They are all a force for good mm. for not only their customers, but for the people that work for them. Because you see, if people went into corporates and they had the opportunity to be intrapreneurs, so people that could uh, create change and develop their skills within an organization, they wouldn't get bored. Yeah. You know, and then coupled with that, they have more security perhaps than they than if they went down an entrepreneurial route. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that can't happen maybe in all industries. If you're a doctor, I see the basis for following quite a set path. However, yeah, what like you might- to know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't want them having a go. <laughs> but, but what you do see actually is a lot of doctors pursuing entrepreneurial um, pursuits on the side yeah um so there is no reason why 
you have to be a doctor or a lawyer and do that and only that for the rest of your life. If people knew that I um, can do medicine, I'm passionate about medicine, I'm passionate about helping people, but I'm not necessarily restricted to doing that and only that for the rest of their life. Actually, they might be more comfortable going into medicine. Yeah, I think that that's all part of the narrative as you go through the educational system. It's all about what do you, the, the subtext really is what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Mm. And those, and that's because in the old days, that's what people did. They kind of went through school, went into a factory, worked there for 40 years, got a, a watch or a carriage clock or something else and then, <laughs> then retired. And uh, those days are gone. I mean, I, I'll be surprised if there's, if there's hardly anybody, anybody at all now that leaves school this year and goes into a career and, a, and, and works for one company for the rest of their life. I'd be surprised if they even do the same job. You know, people don't want that anymore. It's not the not the way we we live. People are looking for to make a greater contribution. I think is a big part of it. And when you talk about the entrepreneur, I think you're absolutely right. Not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur and go out on their own. But it doesn't mean you can't be creative within an organisation. You can't get that fulfilment. And I think where the the lack of fulfilment comes from is the feeling of being a cog in the wheel that doesn't really matter. You turn up. Mm -hmm. You do something, the same task over and over and over. There's no end to it. That's the thing, you know, even if you're in in some industries where you're making things, you feel like you're getting to the end of stuff and you've created something and you move on and create something else. I think in a lot of corporate roles, it's the same day in, day out. Like the, 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 the project might change or the client might change, but really it's the same stuff day in, day out. And you don't feel like you're contributing anything it's certainly you know an experience i've had and, and a lot of people around me and it's because you're in an organization that doesn't value that innovation the you know from the bottom up and i think yes. that's where a lot of businesses could really make a huge difference to their to their performance and to the satisfaction of the people that work for them yes and you know it's a very interesting point because burnout burnout is I mean, I guess people might traditionally think of it as, well, you work 100 hours a week, 24-7, always on, and you burn out. It's not quite as simple as that. It's also about mental exhaustion. And mental exhaustion arises through constantly doing very repetitive tasks. Or uh, one of the other reasons are basically um, feeling like you're not contributing or living up to your potential. So again, it's, it's more to do with the satisfaction element and the sort of repetitive nature of your work combined with obviously long hours, et cetera. But there's, you know, there's that added element to burnout. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's stuff that takes your energy away, isn't it? Rather than giving you energy. If you're doing something you're truly passionate about and excited about, suddenly there's loads of energy and you feel great and you you it's a positive experience and you can work long hours i wouldn't recommend just being work 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 mm. but you're able to i don't know it doesn't become work as such it becomes part of the the fun of life because there's no difference between you know you can go to work in the day and then you can go and do a hobby every evening if you like you're still working in some degree or your hobby could be all day right you could get paid to 
to do what you want to do seven days a week. And, uh, you know, the transition, when I made the transition at the start of this year from corporate into setting the Pocket Mastermind stuff up was the revelation I had was I now at seven days in my week rather than it broken into five mm. and two, <laughs> do you know? What, yeah. What, what, the first thing I got to get over was that, oh, I don't stop working on Friday. I can work on a Saturday, but I don't have to work on a Wednesday, you know, and, yes. and you can then plug and play your life better if you're if you're chasing after something that you're fulfilled with and you've got a bit more control over your destiny then i think it becomes far less tiring it becomes a thing you want to do rather than the the dread of stuff that you don't want to do yes absolutely and i think that flexibility and freedom is key um i've been i've been fairly lucky because i've been out of the corporate world for nearly five years now i have location freedom I have time freedom. I guess the only point I was near burnout was because I was doing something I wasn't passionate about for the wrong reasons. But at least I have the flexibility and I've often done that. Okay, I'm going to work on Saturday instead of Wednesday. I'm going to uh, work early morning and stop mid-afternoon or I'm going to split my work up into morning and evening. And um, Actually, I'm hoping that one of the side effects of COVID would be employers seeing that employees having that flexibility again leads to more productive work. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we're having this conversation. I'm in the UK, you're in Spain. Uh, next week, I'm going to Greece for a month so that because I can Lucky work location free. <laughs> and uh, it's the same benefit, right? It's kind of it doesn't really as long as you've got an Internet connection, most jobs these days you can do from most places right you don't have to be there i'm not building something i'm not in a, a factory i'm not building a house i'm not don't need to physically be anywhere i can i can do whatever i want to do from wherever i want to be exactly yes so it's great are there any before i've got a couple of quick questions for you because we're running out of time but um any other quick tips that you'd give to anybody who's kind of in that position at the moment maybe feeling a bit unfulfilled um, nothing kind of beyond what I've already said, but I think just to impress the point that, you know, kind of going from one thing to another to another without putting any thought or feeling into the process will inevitably lead to the same road. So you'll be kicking the can down the road, so to speak. So if you really want to change and find more satisfaction and more fulfillment, that starts with you. It starts with, you know, committing to finding out more about who you are, what lights you up, what your skills and talents are and what you really want. So want not what you believe is possible. And, um, how you can monetize that because at the end of the day you can't uh, live your passion and not make any money this is true very wise words there's a couple of yeah i would say you know if you've got a problem with your fulfillment and stuff and you move along and i've seen this over and over again people move to the from doing the same job from one company to another company to a co another company the problem is within you and that's why it keeps following you around right you gotta look yes. look internally find what you really care about and start to work out how do you get the more of that into your into your life for sure um quick quick fire if you've got 
two minutes to do this. I do. Excellent. Uh, my first question is, do you have a morning routine? And if you do, what does it look like? Yes, I do. I implemented it recently because I'd found myself just getting up and going straight into looking at emails. So now what I do is I do 20 minutes meditation, um, 10 minutes of EFT or tapping, mm -hmm. if uh, people are familiar with that. And I try and move my body a bit as well before I sit down at my computer and get on with my day. Um, also a very effective thing to do in the morning is to write down what are the top three things that I want to get done today. Yeah, that makes a huge difference because sometimes when I forget to write stuff down, you, you can ping pong from uh, <laughs> different uh, stimulus that comes your way. You I start your emails and before you know it, a few hours have gone by and you haven't done anything that you set out to achieve. So. I'd, I'd recommend that too. Uh, three books that you'd recommend and why? Uh, number one, The Dip by Seth Godin, because it's short, but also it uh, reframes the idea of quitting. So basically it says, quit the stuff you don't love. And when you found what you do love, commit to it. Commit to getting through the dip and commit to being the best in the world which uh, loved that book, really spoke to me. Um, number two, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, completely relooks at our relationship with thoughts, experience of our own pain and suffering, and how we can learn to become more comfortable and open to that so that essentially we become more resilient whatever life throws at us. And number three, um, I love the book uh, Super Coach by Michael Neal, which again is, um, Michael Neal is, talks a lot about inside out. So understanding everything about who you are, your thoughts, your mind, how they all interconnect and how that affects what happens on the outside. Nice, all, th all three are new ones for me, so that's good. My, my list is growing exponentially <laughs> as, I, as I ask these questions. Um, three other people to follow um, or listen to uh, that you recommend by? Oh, I'm trying to think who I'm following at the moment. I am currently uh, looking a lot at Marissa Peer. So she talks a lot about uh, one of our core beliefs that we all tend to have, I am not enough. So I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, whatever, whatever, whatever. So she's number one. Number two, uh, coming back to Michael Neal again, I just find listening to him um, and his thoughts on the inside out incredibly calming, in fact. Um, and thirdly, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with just two, actually. Oh, you're cheating on the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, changing the rules. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of these you may have already touched on, but three habits or disciplines that you've adopted that you feel has made the biggest impact to your life. Um, three habits, journaling. So uh, from things like um, how I'm feeling and processing my emotions, uh, two things like writing down gratitude to writing down, you know, what are my top three things for today? 
Um, number two, making sure that I get out um, and do some exercise every day. Really, really important for mental health and obviously sitting all day is really bad for you. Um, and thirdly, I think just, um, I just have a habit of talking to as many interesting people as possible. I just love talking to people. I love um, sort of getting opinions of people that inspire me, people that are doing things differently, because I think that's kind of an issue with people when they want to change. They're looking around them and they don't really have any kind of solid examples of yeah. uh, people that they can aspire to be like. So um, I'm incredibly privileged in that way to be able to talk to people that are inspiring. That's exactly why I started this thing was to have those conversations <laughs> to to get different points of view to, to to speak with other people, but also so that other people could listen into those conversations that they otherwise might not be able to have themselves. Because you're right, you're in when you're in your own existing fa friends, family network um, of people then you're surrounded by those continuous thoughts as well. And, and if you want to think about something differently, you've got to find other people outside of your initial, your current herd, as it were, that do think differently. And that's not always easy. Um, a lot of us aren't very comfortable in breaking out of that known circle and in, in, into another world. And I hope that, you know, maybe some of these conversations provide a bit of a stepping stone in some way uh, for people to be able to achieve that yeah um three tools apps systems softwares whatever that you now couldn't live without i'm sad to say the linkedin app um <laughs> since i got it on my phone i'm literally always on it because you can also send voice messages on it which i quite like doing but they're also they're very clever that every time you log into that thing there seems to be a notification even if it's yes. a notification of nothing <laughs> there's always a red there's always a red dot on there <laughs> yeah so um i i have to say i'm a bit obsessive about that um whatsapp um just for kind of keeping in contact with friends and family um unfortunately i've had to mute a lot of the group yeah. noise from the various groups i'm on but that's incredibly helpful um and third app i guess my emails are on my phone so again this is this is kind of mostly work related as you can see <laughs> yeah but it often is i think because we're now like because like you say you're now um location independent then your work is going to be or uh, you know on electronic devices and, and the stuff that makes that easier is what gives you the the freedom to be able to be wherever you want to be so it kind of makes sense um yeah. final question if you could spend an hour with anybody dead or alive who would that one person be hmm. um do you know what i would absolutely love to meet uh greta thunberg mm. um purely because you know no one can dispute that she is a leader creating massive impact at a young age and i think yeah. what she proves is that it's not about experience necessarily obviously experience helps but it's about being a visionary and thinking differently and saying what needs to be said i like that answer very good 
Um, so before we wrap up, can you let everyone know where they can they can find you, track you down, uh, find out more? Yes. So I have um, my website, which is um, sarahsabin.com. Sarah without an H. <laughs> I have to clarify. Um, so uh, feel free to check me out on there. Um, also, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there. And my email, again, is quite easy to remember. Sarah at sarahsabin.com. Lovely. Well, thank you very, very much for your time. I've, I've enjoyed it. I think everyone else will have done. Um, and I'll make sure I've got links uh, to all of this when it goes out. So uh, for anyone listening now, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. Uh, head over to pocketmastermind.com and uh, you'll find everything there. But uh, Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you, David. I've really enjoyed it. Lovely. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to hear more similar episodes, head over to pocketmastermind.com where you'll also find the links mentioned in this conversation. And if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review. It will really help us to get our message out and let more people know about these episodes. So leave us a review, leave us a rating, hit the subscribe button and please share with your friends. Until next time, thank you again for listening.